Welcome to the second episode of the Mac Bikes podcast. I'm Mike Thomas. And I'm Elaine Giles. And I'm Mike Burke. We're three Mac geeks based in the northwest of England who are also recent switchers from the world of Windows. In this episode, in addition to a summary of the week's Apple-related news stories, in Switcher's Corner we'll be talking about using mail on a Mac. We'll be focusing on our experiences as Switchers. How easy was it move? To how easy was it to move years worth of mails to Mac Mail? What do we miss about Windows-based mail, and what advantages does mail offer? And keeping on the mail theme, in our software review, we'll be looking at a great little utility called Spansive. But more of that later. Now it's time to discuss this week's Apple-related news. Right then, news time. To be honest with you, I think we can agree it's been a bit of a quiet week because there's some big news coming up soon, obviously, but everyone's anticipating the release of uh, Leopard and iPhones and all things lovely like that. So... I'll just there's a few small articles that I think we you know worth uh, having a look at. Uh, first one that caught my eye was uh, talking about uh, new iPods. Well, we were talking about uh, last week. The uh, people have the hackers have been at the old iPod, the iPod fifth gen. Uh, actually, I've got one which is nicknamed the video iPod, and they've gone and hacked it and put the new iPod firmware on there. So the firmware that you get on the new iPod Nano and the iPod Classic, where you can get cover flow and the split screen mode, uh, they're now putting that on the iPod 5th gen, which means a bit of a dodgy hack going on. And to be honest with you, I thought, kind of reluctant myself. Uh, I know you two have uh, have got 5th uh, gen iPod. Are you considering doing that? No. No way. <laughs> it's working at the minute. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? They've always been. They've always been. I thought they've always been a bit delicate. These things, you know, always protect it in its big, you know, its chunky case and everything. And I, I don't know. This, I think, start hacking one of them. And it's, uh, Mike, have you got something to say? Yeah, I was going to say as much as I, uh, I would love uh, things like cover flow. Uh, no, I don't think I would be uh, risking it. Um, I'll, I'll stick with what I've got. Yeah. And plus, also, I mean, one of the criticisms of when the uh, the new Nano first got launched was, uh, and the the new Classic was, that people were suspecting that this new fancy interface was actually uh, slowing it down a little bit. Anyway, the, I believe they fixed that with a software update, and I believe it it was more snappier. But and then, so now it makes me think, well, hang on, this new firmware, the older generation electronics that's in the you know the fifth gen might not be able to cope as good anyway. So. No, I think we'll leave that one. We'll let the hackers have their little bit of fun with that one. And and another little story. Um, Apple to launch web apps directory. And the web apps directory, they suggested, now because people have been banging on, banging on for the, for the iPhone to have some uh, decent uh, applications. Well, as you know, Apple have only allowed Safari type applications, you know, applications that are accessible through the Safari browser. Uh, but what Apple are doing, they're possibly trying to make it easier for people to access them. So they'll have a directory listing on the line, you know, on the Apple website, for example, just like they do with, say, widget downloads. There'll be a page you can go to and get all the latest uh, Safari web apps that are suitable for the iPhone or that have been published there for the iPhone. Can be useful. Uh, I think we can all agree that uh, we're all waiting for some real applications to be on, real third-party apps to be on the iPhone. Uh, and there's still rumours about that. Because, you know, in addition to this, uh, what I'm just mingling into this story is the the fact that there's uh, 
more rumours coming out that the Apple are going to announce third-party apps, third-party iPhone uh, applications. And there's talk now that, from what I've read into an article uh, that I was reading on one of the rumour sites, there's people are suspecting that we're waiting on the release of Leopard. Possibly there's something in the back door, of, you know, in the in the back end side of Leopard that's waiting to be brought forward to welcome all these uh, a software, you know, an SDK, you know, software development kit for iPhone apps, and that'll be what uh, I think a lot of potential iPhone purchasers will be looking for. To be honest with you, it's uh, one of the things that's possibly held some people back. Uh, Elaine, I mean, I know uh, you'll always be looking for the latest and the greatest applications, and I don't know about you, but for me, having to you know having to have applications that only live in the Safari browser. In other words, you're stuck if you've not got the Wi-Fi access, uh, and the cellular you know the cellular access is a bit slow using Edge. You, I think you can do you agree that we need some proper applications on the phone itself. Um, we probably do. I th I think it's more I'm thinking in terms of PDA type stuff. Um, and I'd want those from Apple anyway. So things like a dress book and the uh, calendar application would be the crucial ones for me. Trouble is, of course, once people start developing, they do develop things that you then see and think, oh, can't live without that. And then you start putting them on. And that's when my PDA started to crumble around me. So I hope if they do do it, they do it in a sort of fairly strict way and it doesn't sort of affect the stability of the iPhone. That would be such a shame. So that's my take on it. I was going to say I'm of the same opinion. Uh, I when I got my PDA, uh, I started looking at, at all the the sites with the utilities on, thinking, "Oh, I fancy that! I fancy that!" Um, and then I put these apps on, and my PDA started crashing all over the place. Uh, and and you do need that that kind of um, governance, if you like, from Apple to make sure that that anything is is um, is is done. Uh, in the correct way, it's it's programmed in the correct way, um, and and it, it does fit in with the whole the whole ethos of the iPhone. But as you said before, I do think that the the, the lack of these third party apps has held some people back from from buying um, what is essentially a phone and, a, and an iPod and a and a PDA. Um, it's it's going to make it it's more useful to people. Yeah, well, I mean that's what's obviously the hacker community was obsessed with you know why the hacker community was obsessed with uh crack you know jailbreaking as they call it uh you know the iphone in america and and there has been so i've seen some online video demos and you know we can see them all on youtube and things there's been some great applications uh that have been developed i think really it looks like to me that apple are gonna go down the line of keeping their they are gonna have some real applications on there they embedded on the phone and, and i'm sure they are and I think they're holding it close to the chest at the moment because they must be working with someone, uh, maybe several vendors and you know several developers. Uh, and I think it's possibly going to go down. You know, maybe there's going to be some tweaks involved with what Le what Leopard's going to do, but it's possibly going to go down the road as well. It's like the iPod games. You know how you it's tied in, and Apple have got complete control over it. Who who gets the software development kit? And the only way of you getting these new and real applications to install on the phone are going to be through buying through iTunes. And to be honest with you, I don't think that's a bad thing because we're going back to the issue that one at the last years, Mac Wills, you know, Steve Jobs did say that one of the major issues, and and like we just discussed, one of the major issues is with PDAs and you know uh, mobile. Uh, 
mobile phones is uh, people putting third-party apps on them, making them, as you said, crumble around, crumble down around the apps. Uh, Apple keeping the control on it, keeping it a closed environment, uh, is obviously going to, in their way, keep the reliability because that was obviously the biggest one of one of the biggest criticisms uh, of, of you know of the like the these little mobile. Uh, Computers, you know, the handheld computers, aren't they these days? You know, there's that much processing in, involved in them. Um, the other thing to think about is the iPhone is going to be a complete magnet for virus writers, um, whereas the Mac has escaped that. The iPhone's got the added benefit to them that if they could write something that could hijack it, um, people could be ringing sort of odd numbers and people could be making money out of it so even more important that it's tied down as tightly as possible yeah that's a fair point a valid point and with the contracts that uh, I mean that's one of the reasons why they want it locked to the cellular ne network obviously we've talked about the revenue sharing deals uh, and obviously they've got to protect the cellular network the, the you know the carriers network as well so I think security obviously is a big major thing that's at the forefront is possibly not something that's just you know publicly talked about because they're obviously constantly working behind the scenes on the security of the device and yeah and i see what you're saying that it's uh i hear what you're saying <laughs> i hear what you're saying that it's it could open up you know to further risks and you know further holes that could be uh at attacked and you know not just to attack the device but like you said then to hijack uh the carrier, the, the you know the operator, the user's accounts onto the carrier's network and 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 on and you know and onwards. Uh, so definitely, the security is a big thing. I think it's a watch this space thing. It's definitely. Uh, so yeah, I'm uh, yeah I'm still excited about it. And, and once again, we can't tell. <laughs> once again, no, it's, I can't, it's very subtle. <laughs> I can't get through another news article without mentioning the iPhone. Um, at least uh, three times. Yeah, there's my third time. Uh, you see, it's just about to launch, and we've got uh, November the 9th launch date, but already the rumours are rife about the version 2, the revision 2 of the iPhone, and latest rumours coming out, of, you know, several rumour signs you can check for yourselves, uh, but someone's suggesting that it might well even be ready for Macworld Expo in January, you know, the traditional uh, gathering to pay homage to... Uh, <laughs> Steve Jobs, as he is, you know, does gets on stage and does his uh, his keynotes. Uh, and usually have the big product launches, and so like last year we had the iPhone version one was launched. Although you know, introduced there was the correct word really, not launched. Uh, there's a chance now that, and that's where because we're so close. You see, when by the time it gets launched in the UK, it's November the ninth. The device has been on public sale in America since June the 29th. It's not a new device now, is it? No, but you're still going to be queuing up and buying one. Shh, shh no, I don't, I don't. There's a bit of background here, then I couldn't hear you. <laughs> really? <laughs> These connections. Oh, <laughs> why don't Why don't you just skip version one, and go straight to version two? Well, that's that's the thing. You see, so how long do I wait? Is it? Am I going to just? You can imagine I'm not the only one that's in this quandary at the moment. It's it's November the ninth now. There's, I'm going to be buying. For all intents and purposes, a new device that's partway through its life cycle already. 
when I bought my new MacBook Pro earlier on this year, I timed the purchase <laughs> absolutely perfectly because the new version had only just come out. It only just had the, the you know the new Santa Rosa chipset and the LED backlit screen and everything. It was a it was a new fresh revision, and knowing full well that as you know, these products get updated very very quickly, and you get a slight little niggle don't you and uh, you end up you know spending all your uh, hard earned on uh, on a device that's uh, obsolete within <laughs> what seems a matter of minutes well so, you pay your money and you take your choice don't you yeah but that's it and, and I've always had this thing I've always been yeah the venerable early adopter and join the queues you pay the, the idiot tax yeah mm. I pay the alright the early adopters tax yeah but in this case is it not is it not am I not being you know have the Mickey taken out of me, you know, double so, you know, to a double extent, because it's not a new device. I'm paying the early adopter tax, and it's not even a new device anymore. Well, they've already reduced the price once. Mm, yeah, I don't it know. could have been much worse. Right, I'll sleep on it again tonight then. <laughs> so you keep saying you're still going to be there in the queue on the night. <laughs> right, I'll promise not to mention the iPhone again. Not for uh, at least sure. two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should edit in an iPhone wrap. <laughs> oh no, an iPhone wrap? No, no. Yeah, a nice no. little bit of post-production on you rabbiting on about the iPhone endlessly. <laughs> right, With all those uh, good voices that Samantha showed us at the last uh, user group meeting, hey, that's where cool. we had a yeah. fantastic demonstration of GarageBand, and she showed us this the mouse voice, wasn't it? I can think of things to do with that. Just leave me with it. We'll talk about the, uh, the last Mac user group meeting in, uh, later on in the podcast. Yes, uh, Elaine's because... creative side's coming out there. Be very afraid, yeah. Mike. I know, don't sign that. But we've had, some, we've had some good comments and good feedback about that, so uh, I'll mention that later on. Uh, yeah, I think we've covered the iPhone stories this week. Um, Are you sure? <laughs> surely. Just all I wanted to do is finish off our usual news uh, roundup with the uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We started that last week, uh, and I used to love the old <laughs> the old films, uh, good, the bad, and the ugly. So this week was uh, we can say that this week's the good part of the uh, of the news headlines was uh, Apple cleans up at the T3 Awards. Uh, as you probably know, T3 is that. Uh, gadget magazine for the it really is does seem to be for blokes because it's got as many half naked women in it as the nuts magazine hasn't it uh, so I subscribe obviously <laughs> well obviously you've got to get your thrills somewhere haven't you <laughs> well, it's, all those, it's all those gadgets if you say so uh, that I'm just lusting to get my hands on <laughs> yeah, it's all, so, so all I can say is uh, just a quick news on this on the the good for for this week is Apple cleaned up at the T3 Awards for being uh, having a great year really for some several of the Apple products uh, for example uh, well the well, the headline in it is Apple swept the board at the awards ceremony uh, with six awards for some of the finest tech products known to man as they word it in their articles uh, the iPhone scooped the most anticipated gadget award for 2008. Well, that was just your on your votes. Uh, <laughs> alone. That vote was by Sky News online readers. Now I've never voted online at the Sky News website. Honest, uh, mm. f not from every IP address that I own, anyway. <laughs> While the iPod uh, ramped home, uh, there was also the best computer gadget. Uh, sorry, best commuter gadget was the uh, uh, 
uh, the, the iPod was the best commuter gadget and the best music gadget and the best gadget of all time. It's by, uh, voted by readers of The Sun, uh, which obviously they're a very intelligent lot. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> See, they understand. Sun readers understand. Well, they understand gadgets. Uh, definitely. Uh, iTunes, once again, the iTunes software running away with awards. Uh, and my favourite, the MacBook Pro, uh, getting the uh, scooping the drop dead gorgeous award. And it was. I mean, when I first set eyes on this, uh, yeah. So it's definitely. I mean, it beating things like you know, like uh, LG's Prada phone, and you know what I mean. I mean, that's that's it's not a drop dead gorgeous thing. It's a piece of it's a cellular phone, you know, covered with a touchscreen interface that you're going to get all oh, fingerprints. Oh, oh no. No, yeah, I'm sure it's a great idea. Mm. Uh, yeah, you're salivating so. again. <laughs> uh, this week's bad story. Uh, all I can suggest is uh, this: I've had a, always been a game fan myself. Uh, so yeah, you you you're then surprised why I hell I switched to the Mac. So I mainly most of my gaming now is uh, is console based, but I used to love some PC gaming, and one of my favourite ever games was uh, was Half Life. Uh, on the PC by Valve, and uh, Valve have just published a story about uh, you know they're f- how they're just not really getting on with the speaking to the Apple people. Uh, but now it's coming out uh, that Valve's uh, software uh, are saying that really you know uh, the, the people that are prepared to port the software Valve's games over onto the Mac are suggesting that Valve's uh, tr- trying to saying that they need a million dollars uh you know rights uh payments just to just to have the the option you know or the rights to to port the software over to the mac and no you know no independent you know no game independent developers or smaller developers uh are going to be able to fund that you know to 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 be able to successfully port some of these games over to the mac platform which is a damn shame one of the you know the, the important things that Steve Jobs was stressing earlier on this year was uh, games are coming to the Mac again and again, you know, we've heard it all before. And problems like this, so now it's more bad news for, in fact, for my mind, for uh, game fans. Uh, it's still... I'm going to have to take your word for that. Doesn't mean a thing to me, this lot. Oh, well, there are some... Some of us grew up at some point in the last 20 years and left games behind. Oh, you know. Listen, we need to hurry up and get this done anyway. I've got to get back on Halo 3. So. Oh, God. <laughs> no, but it's only because I'm no good at it because my Xbox died on the launch day and all my friends got to... Anyway, that's another story. Oh, you didn't take that as a sign? Well, I think I think, I think Microsoft should uh, should compensate me. So, And this week, I just want to finish off the, the news with uh, the ugly. Uh, so we've done the good, we've done the bad, and this week's ugly news... I'm going to knock Apple. You can't do that. Did, did, no. did you hear me? Did you hear me? Did you hear me? I'm going to, I'm going to knock Apple. One, I've, one thing I've always used to, uh, or, you know, since I've been an, an Apple user, I've, I've always enjoyed showing my friends, you know, who were still in the Windows uh, arena, showing some of these totally brilliant and innovative adverts that Apple have produced. And now they've just produced the worst adverts I've ever seen. <laughs> Can you at least visit this website and check out uh, the new iPhone ads? So go to apple.com uh, forward slash iPhone forward slash ads. And they're absolutely awful. And they're dead cheesy. All it is, they've got the 
for me, I don't believe it for a minute, but there's three advertisements that they've got three people that it looks like they just picked on the man in the street, as it were, they're walking past and they've got a little kiosk there, a little banner up with the, uh, the Apple logo. And they're just obviously asking this person, you know, why they use their iPhone. Uh, yeah, they looked obviously just like three out-of-work actors uh, <laughs> who were on, on the way to clean the streets, you know, in, in between their acting jobs. Uh, <laughs> and I've the, actually seen these adverts. I'll take your point. They're not, um, they're not great. But um, from what I read, Apple put on their site a request for uh, genuine user stories. Um, it was like a forum of yeah. um, iPhone users, yeah. and they are supposedly genuine users. I'm not falling for it. I'm not. <laughs> Either that or genuine out-of-work actors. Uh, let, They're not the me, best adverts they've ever done. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll just play one of them. This is uh, a little bit cheesy. So basically, at one point, I had to carry a little bag to carry everything around with me. I had the iPod, I had a camera, and I had a regular phone, and a phone that I used for text messaging and emails and stuff like that. Well, hang on, let me just pause that there. <laughs> Many people were carrying around a regular phone and the phone he uses for text messages. <laughs> what's, mm. what's going on there? <laughs> Let me just finish this. Four things. One thing. I want to get up, grab my wallet and my iPhone and walk out of the house and jump in my car and go. I never forget my phone. And that's everything all in one for me. That's my lifeline. Yeah. And he's, he's walking, he's just gone around the corner now and he's uh, pushing a, a, a street dusting car. He's <laughs> <laughs> They're not the best ads, are they, when you compare them to the, the Get a Mac adverts? Well, that's it. It's as if there's no... It's as if there's no thought gone into it and, you know... Not in terms of, like, the idea behind it and, you know, saying, OK, let's create an advertising campaign. How do people use it? You know, what benefits they get out using an iPhone? But... Oh, for goodness sake. Yeah, so they were really... That, that's this week's ugly. I'm actually knocking Apple for a change, so... That, and the iPhone. Oh, no. You said you oh, weren't no. going to mention it again. Mm. Oh, no. <laughs> right, that's this week's news. Ah, crap! And now it's time for Switcher's Corner, where we look at a commonly used feature on Windows and how to perform that task on a Mac. And today's topic is mail. So, guys, was it Outlook all round when you were working with Windows? Because it certainly was for me. Afraid so. Yeah, it was Outlook. Yeah, it was uh, It was Outlook for me, as I say. Um, so, uh, why did I transfer? Well, when I first got a Mac, I was actually sticking with Outlook. Um, I was running it in parallels, obviously. And... Uh, I got to the point where I'd, uh, I'd had enough of uh, running Parallels just to open Outlook. Windows updates were also crippling Outlook to an extent where I was actually using uh, the web-based mail that my ISP provided rather than uh, going into Outlook. So what I did is I bit the bullet as it were. I looked at the options and uh, I basically picked mail because it's built into the Mac and uh, I thought I'd give it a go. Uh, not really got around to uh, to picking out any alternatives yet. I know there's, there's Thunderbird, there's one or two other things. And uh, my main problem really was transferring uh, 10 years worth of mail that was uh, stored in Outlook PSTs and uh, transferring that over to the Mac. And uh, I did a bit of Google research and I came up with uh, just the thing, which is a small piece of software called O2M. 
you can actually find that at a website called littlemachines.com. It's only $10 and it's well worth it. There's a trial version so you can actually use it to transfer a few items just to uh, test that it works for you. It's actually a Windows app so what you do, you put it on your Windows machine, you export your mail, your contacts, your calendar items, uh, you take them out of Outlook, put them into your Mbox files and you can import those directly into uh, the Apple. So uh, Elaine, can you uh, give us your uh, your experience of, uh, of Mail on the Mac? Yes, I'd used Outlook for 10 years, so I had 10 years worth of Mail. Um, I was so used to it crashing and corrupting its files that I'd got this complex auto backup thing going on. Um, every time a mail came in, it was automatically backed up into a, a different PST. So uh, it, it was just a system that was transparent, it just worked beautifully. So for me, because of my business archiving requirements, mail was the last thing that I was transferring to the Mac. I wanted to transfer, um, Outlook had all the features that I needed, probably had several hundred I didn't need as well. Um, but during my time using it on Windows, um, in a rare moment of desperation, or as some would say, clarity. I did look round um, for the alternatives. I looked at Thunderbird, just couldn't really get into it. I even tried something called The Bat, and I really liked that. Um, and again, the thing that put me off was the prospect of altering all these automatic backups. So um, I waited 14 months before I moved my mail. Um, so I think I was at that point. I, sh I should really be able to drop the switch attack. I was a fully fledged Mac user then because I was I was getting my mail on a Mac. I too went to uh, <laughs> Mail. Um, really, again, I, I did look at the alternatives briefly, but Mail was built in and and I'd been using it with my .Mac account. To be honest, the whole process was a lot easier than I thought it would be. Um, you mentioned this O2M software, which um, I will be using as I get all my mail that's in Outlook from years gone by and transfer it so I can carry on reading it if I need it in the future. Um, one problem I had was, uh, because I'd used Outlook for so long, I'd been to demonstration after demonstration from Microsoft right from version 1, um, and some of those demonstrations were, look how easy it is to get items in and out of Outlook. So when I actually, I'd never needed to, to get things out, but when I actually came to get them out, um, they'd taken away the export feature. So over the years, they tell you what features they add. What they don't do is tell you what they take away. And what they'd taken away was an easy way to export your contacts, your mail items, and any other items you might have had in there, which was why you used O2M. Uh, for me, I wasn't too concerned about the mail, but I was concerned that I didn't have to sit and type all my contact details in. And I took the free alternative route. Rather than O2M, what I did was I installed Thunderbird on Windows. And when you install it, it uh, notices that you've got Outlook installed and it asks you if you want to import your contacts and your mail items. So I said yes. Once I'd got them in Thunderbird on Windows, I exported them to an export format then took them to Thunderbird on uh, the Mac, imported them in there, and then exported them out to Mail. And that worked just as well, although, to be honest, for the fee of $10, I think I'd um, take the direct route in the future. Um, in terms of exporting Mail, I wasn't too worried about the Mail because I constantly strive for Inbox Zero 
so I probably I, I dealt with all my mail before I transferred there are a couple of things I've supplemented mail with uh, about three little applications one of which we will be looking at Spamsif but I still find there's a couple of things missing uh, one of the things is scheduling um, a send of an email. I used to reply to emails at sort of one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon. But in Outlook, you could say do not send until five to five. And I found that really useful. Um, I had a quick look and I believe you can replicate that, but it needs some scripting. The biggest thing that I miss is something called message tag, which um, is a service. Uh, you sign up for this service and when you send your mail, it goes through this service and at the other end when the person opens it you get a notification to say that they have received the mail and opened it so it's fantastic when you're sort of sending out quotes to clients and things like that that you know they have actually received it and you can't use that with a Mac so I'm looking for some sort of service like that maybe if one of our listeners has heard of so something no, like that so there's no no read receipt options um, I don't know about read receipt, but this message tag didn't use the read receipt because they would get a message at the other end and they could say, no, don't send a read receipt. This right. message tag worked where as soon as they opened the mail, it kind of secretly pinged the message tag server and that came back to you um, with a message to say the message has been received. So oh. it was a, it was really fantastic that. There's also a, like a desktop application that you can install and you can look at all the mails you've sent and see what time they were opened and everything. So that, that was one of the main reasons that I, I stuck with Outlook for as long as I did. But I had the same problems Mike did, that a lot of the updates last summer, um, well, not last summer, it was about three or four months ago, a lot of the updates to Outlook were ridiculous and it just kept crashing. So I thought, no, it's time to move, bite the bullet, get on with it. But the last thing that I miss, I like, I like to have groups to send mails to. Um, and I know I can still send to a group, but it puts everybody's email address in the two line. Now I can actually, so. I can actually help you with that. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, if you actually go into the mail preferences and you go to the composing tab, there's a tick box that says when sending to a group, show all member addresses. So if you actually uncheck that, then you're not going to hit, hit that problem so that um, when you send that mail, the recipients won't see the email addresses of uh, everyone else in that group. Cool, that's exactly what I want. All right, I'm going to turn that option on. That's one of our <laughs> tips of the week then. I've got a similar question, similar. Uh, I received an email recently, in mail. Only uh, one? I, that I, yeah. I You're so that. popular. It wasn't about iPhones either. Uh, but, one uh, word, I, you mean you've got a life? <laughs> I've not even got the bloody phone yet, shut up. <laughs> But, Mike, it, it, you might be able to help me with this. Uh, mail, I was using Mail.app, and I received an email that was had some useful information on it, but the email was sent to a lot of people. So in the uh, in the, in the two uh, items, when I come to print it, I couldn't get it to give me the option to not display, you know, not print all the names and addresses in the, in the, in the two fields. You know, me being one of them, fair enough. Do you know of, uh, is it something that's going to have to be unique to a particular printer drivers, or is it something that Mail.app can can specify not to print? So if I, you know, if I had a, what turned out to be a, a one-page document really ended up to be two and a half pages because there was that many people in the two field. Do you see what I mean? I do see what you mean. Um, 
It's not something I've come across. Uh, Elaine, do you happen to know? Uh, what I tend to do in situations like that is copy the content of the body, uh, paste it into text edit, and print it out from there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's more steps. We don't we don't like more steps. So well, you don't uh... know because it's less time to think about the iPhone. We'll put it out to our to our listeners and ask if they've got any ideas on that. Is is a brand new feature of uh, of the Matt Bites podcast? It's the listener challenge. <laughs> so, mm. so good well, idea. No, but no, seriously, it's, it's just something that I've not honestly I've not come across that because I've not wanted to print something off that had so many address fields, uh, so many you know addresses in the to field. Uh, so when I went you know to print that document. Uh, and I clicked on preview first, and I could see, you know, that it was because uh, my printer does double-sided printing, by the way. Uh, so I, I look, clicked on preview. If it was going to go over to the second page, I'd just say, "Oh yeah, do double-sided printing." But it went so far down; it went onto the second page purely because there was so many uh, items, you know, so many names, email names in the to field, and I didn't have the, I couldn't find the option to print the message body without all the extra, you know, without printing all the names in the to field. Now I'm wondering now if that I'm I'm sure I've seen that before uh, when I've used another setup when, back in my Windows days. Now I'm I'm beginning to think one was it an option in Outlook uh, in the full version of Outlook I'm talking about not Outlook Express or was it something unique to the printer drivers I was using at the time on another. I think there printer. is an option in Outlook where you can um, opt precisely what's printed. Yeah, so it was and probably I think, an Outlook option. So, but this is this is a little point that I wanted to raise is the fact that you know we talked about you know switching from uh, the Windows environment onto the uh, to the Mac environment, and I did. I used the full version of of Microsoft Outlook. Outlook, I don't believe is fair to compare to Mail.app because, for my mind, Mail.app is. In, in all honesty, it's the equivalent of Outlook Express. It's it's not the full personal information manager that, that Microsoft Outlook is. Do you, you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, I do. Uh, and so so what I did do, <laughs> don't laugh, but I tried Microsoft Entourage. <laughs> is, that how you pro- is, that how, is that how you pronounce it? I believe so. <laughs> oh, the shame. <laughs> it is, it's, you installed a Microsoft product willingly. Well, I installed the full Office Suite, Microsoft. You see, when I switched to the Mac, I thought I was one of those naive fools that uh, presumed that you had to have Microsoft Office software to open Microsoft Office documents. And, you know, I know that I get sent Microsoft Office documents. And so I presumed that uh, I had to install Microsoft Office. And I did. Uh, So I got Microsoft Office 2004. It didn't run too bad to be honest with you on my iMac G5. It doesn't actually run that good at all on me, on uh, my MacBook Pro because it's it's not native, is it? It's not universal binary. Uh, so no matter, and they've done a lot, quite a few updates. Anyway, Entourage, but Entourage has got a lot of the personal information manager type features to it. Uh, it's Outlook for the Mac, really, isn't it? The Outlook, yeah, it is. It is. Now you see, given that I'd used Outlook for so long, you'd imagine that Entourage would have been the first place I went, and it wasn't. Why wasn't it? I heard about it. Um, I I then read a few things, and at the time, there was um, Microsoft were desperately bringing out patches for one thing or another, uh, for Entourage. There was some problem with it, and I thought it's ridiculous to to put that on a Mac when you've got a perfectly good mail client there already to open up holes into the system for no good reason. The other thing was Entourage can't read Outlook PST files anyway, so you'd still have had to have gone through some sort of export option. And by then, 
having gone through the pain of trying to get items out. The import options in Outlook are fantastic. Outlook, um, the export options, not good at all. I then didn't trust them. I thought, I'm not going to pay through the nose to buy a product, to put it on here, that I've got to jump through hoops to get the stuff into, that I know full well I'm going to have no hope of getting the things out from. So at that point, it was either Thunderbird, uh, Power Mail, which I'd heard about, um, or Mail. And like you, obviously, but using Outlook, I'd got um, notes in there. Um, I'd got contacts in there. I got all sorts. And it felt very strange to me to move to the Mac that the calendar was separate from the address book, which was separate from the email. Although everything does integrate quite nicely, it was still strange that it's three apps. And I had Outlook running all day, every day. So I was, I was flicking to a calendar and then to a contact and, and, and thinking, I don't really want to have, you know, three applications running. But to be honest, I actually now would say um, I use my contacts in a better way than I ever did in Outlook. Because in Outlook, I'm more likely not to add a contact. There's so many fields and oh, what groups should yeah, I put yeah, them in and yeah, I'll think about mean. doing it later that I didn't bother. Um, the calendar I did try and use repeatedly and I actually went through and I took like a whole weekend. I set the whole system up properly. It's a system called um, Take Back Your Life with Outlook by a lady called McGee. And I went through and I set up this whole procedure. It was fantastic. And for two weeks I was on top of absolutely everything. And at two weeks it crashed. The PST was that badly corrupted um, that the tool they give you to fix it couldn't fix it. So I went onto the knowledge base at Microsoft and I was desperately looking for some way to recover this PST. And there was an eight step procedure and the last step on this procedure, um, I, I went through the first step and they didn't do any good. The last step was delete your PST and start again. And at that point I thought, I just can't trust it. Mm. So I didn't really use it. I didn't use the calendar properly. I didn't put everything in. I put some things in, but I didn't put everything in. Now, with iCal, it seems 100% solid, so everything's in there. Every contact's in my address book. And that, in turn, makes mail work better. I can send appointments to people. I can, I get appointments in, in the right format, and I can add them into iCal. And the address book is virtually totally integrated anyway. So, um, no entourage never appealed to me at all. No, well, I, I've... I've... All I can say is, uh, before we, uh, before Mike kicks me off for gabbing on too much, what, what, my, my challenge still stands, by the way. Right, we'll put the details in the show notes and we'll put it out as a challenge. Yeah, that's a challenge, that. So how do we how do we cut that out? But I've stuck to using mail, but you mentioned Thunderbird. Is, is mm. it, now that's from the people that do Firefox, isn't it? It is. It's a standalone email client Um it does work very well. It's very fast. Um, you can, it's cross-platform, and you can actually take your mailbox archives from one platform to another, which was why I, I dabbled with it. I thought it would be a good way um, of being able to use it on both platforms. Uh, you can also get um, a version that you can put on a pen drive and run it straight off the pen drive for Windows. So again, it makes it very, very portable. Um, I, it just didn't feel right to me, to be honest. I can't. Yeah say there was anything particularly wrong with it it was it's just a bit like firefox i do use firefox for google notebook but it 
doesn't feel right to me. I prefer Safari and it's the same with Thunderbird. I have got um, an account with an old account I've had for years and I get so much spam in it that I don't want it downloading into mail. So I just download it into Thunderbird and there's like one good mail every year or so. So I can just delete it really. But That was I, the one I from me. Yeah, that'll be the one. <laughs> I don't really think um, it's something that I could use in anger. <laughs> okay, well, that's uh, Switcher's Corner for this episode. Um, with all our experiences of uh, switching over from uh, Outlook to uh, something on the Mac. By the look of it, it's, uh, it's the Mail app. So, staying on the same theme, uh, Elaine's now going to talk about SpamSiv in the software review, which is a a piece of software that's mail related. Right, thank you for that. Um, SpamSiv is one of the three things that I use uh, together with Mail.app to um, replicate the features that I had in Outlook that were critical to me. Um, I've got an automatic backup going on with a rule. I also have something called Email Backup Pro, which um, at regular intervals will close your mail app down for you, make a backup, so um, it's incremental. So. You, you have, well, it's a full backup, um, but it backs it up every time you want it to be backed up. So uh, that was very, very inexpensive, something like three or four pounds. So definitely worth it. And another one was Mail Steward, which lets you archive huge volumes of mail um, into a, a database back end and search for it. Um, so I use that as well for archiving. The third one is the one that we're going to be talking about, which is SpamSiv. Uh, my problem was um, I've had my mail accounts for as long as I've been on the internet, some of them. And early days, you just filled your address in and you didn't really worry. And over time, I was getting a little bit of spam turned into a lot of spam. And at the point I got my Mac and I then had my mail on Windows, I hadn't really noticed just how much spam I was actually getting. Because I was sat at my machine all day, Outlook was there all day. If something came in and it was spam, I just deleted it and I didn't really bother counting it. But as I say, when I got my Mac and I wasn't sat at my Windows machine all day, I realised I was getting a lot of spam. And when I say a lot, I've asked other people, you know, do you get a lot of spam? And they'll say, oh, I do. I get, I get 10 messages a day. And I'm thinking, 10 a day? That's nothing. When I say I had a lot of spam to handle, I'm talking about 50 an hour. What? 50 an hour. So for me, uh, something to handle the spam was very important. I think you need a, you need a change of identity. You need, you need, a, you need to go in the witness protection programme. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like that at times. Oh it really God. did. Um, and of course, I did have... Uh, spam rules and junk filtering going on in uh, Outlook and it did its best, bless its heart but um, I often found good mail in the junk and junk in the good mail and to be honest it, it wasn't really worth having the junk mail turned on in, in the end, the filtering because I would get mails in from people who were in my address book I, that I'd told Outlook you know, this is a safe sender or do not never put this in the junk. And it did anyway. So every time the mail came in, instead of just checking your inbox, you had to check the junk anyway. So in the end, I sort of tur turned it off. Um, I also had to supplement it with rules as well. So my experience of um, spam handling software was limited to Outlook. And my opinion was it wasn't that good. But at the point I decided I was moving to the Mac with my mail, I decided I needed to, um, like you say, get in witness protection. 
<laughs> the names had been changed to protect the innocent and I started, I set up a few Gmail accounts and I started ferrying mail from one to the other to try and reduce the, the amount of spam I was getting. But I can't get it down to nothing because it's a, it's a business address and it has been for years and that's probably where the problem started. Yeah. It had been on a website years ago. So I got it down as far as I could, but I'm, I was still getting about 300 a day at that point. Oh, my and the, God. There wasn't much I could... And that was after reductions? Yeah, yeah. That was as good as I could get it, somewhere between 280 and 300 a day. So at that point, I thought, right, is it possible to move to... It's bad enough, this, in Outlook. Is it possible to move it to a Mac with just the... What I had seen was fairly primitive junk mail handling. And that was when I came across this product called SpamSiv. So I had a go with just the junk mail filtering that was in Apple Mail. And no, it couldn't really cope. It was making um, mistakes, both positive and negative. So I thought, I, ca I can't do with this. I expected to have to make some rules, which um, I'd done in Outlook. I had copious rules in Outlook. I mean, Outlook, for instance, was letting through Viagra mails. Now, I'd have thought that was fairly easy to spot in all its variations. But what happened in Outlook was, and it happens in a lot of mail clients, when you update your junk filters, for two or three days, things improve. But over time, it gradually gets worse. And that's why with SpamSiv, SpamSiv is very different. Over time with SpamSiv, things get better. It learns. So SpamSiv itself is an add-in. It's not a standalone thing. It's an add-in for not only mail but for several other well-known mail applications including thunderbird it works with entourage ooh, uh, eudora powermail mailsmith so and th there's others as well so it works with a lot of the mail clients that you'd find on a mac right so what does it do and how does it do it well it's it sieves the spam as the name implies its object in life is to stop the spam getting into your inbox now, it's a client-side application, so it does download the spam, yeah, yeah, but so the objective is it filters it into a spam folder. Now, it's how it does that that's clever and makes it different from anything I've seen before. It doesn't use one technique. So if you think about making a manual rule yourself, it would use one technique. You'd say, if the mail comes from Fred Blogs, then I want to see it put in this folder. Uh, this isn't doing that. What it does is it has several filtering techniques and they're all configurable and it works in this order. It maintains a list of mails that you've received and knows whether or not you mark them as spam. And it does that in something called a corpus which is like a sort of body of intelligence that it has built in. So that's the first thing it checks. The second thing it will check is it goes through your OS X address book and there are options in there. So if, if the email address is in your address book, you can tell it that, right, it's a good mail and I always want to see it. So that solves the problem, one of the problems I had on Outlook. You can also say whether you want to exclude your own address. A lot of spam was coming in and it was addressed to me. To me, from me. And it was a good way of them making sure it came through because in Outlook, anything that was addressed to you, from you, was coming straight into the inbox, no matter what the content was. So you can say um, you, there is an option to exclude your own email address there as well. If you've got Entourage installed and you have an address book in it, 
you can choose to allow all the contacts in there as well. So that's another technique it has. It also maintains a whitelist. So anybody that you add to your whitelist, any rules you add to your whitelist, you will always get the mail into your inbox and, and nowhere else. It won't uh, mark it as a false positive and put it in the junk. The converse of a whitelist, which is saying everybody on this list, I want to get their email, is a block list. And Spamsive also has a built-in block list. So if you're getting mail from somebody, you can just choose to block their mail. There's also something I hadn't heard of before, which is called the habeas safe list. And what? what that is, is the habeas safe list. Ah. It's a list of senders, um, I'm assuming, because there's a list of them, that tend to be more uh, commercial. And they agree to only send emails that meets the company's stringent compliance requirements. So the company would seem to be called habeas, and they have rules... Uh, like a code of conduct, really, for mass bulk emailers. And if anybody is on the habeas safe list, it's presupposed that they're not spammers. So you can choose whether to use their safe list or not. There's an option to mark um, ADV messages as spam. Also encoded HTML, which is um, one of the things that Outlook kind of attracted for everybody. Bless its little heart. Um, because the preview panel in Outlook um, showed HTML, if you send encoded HTML, as, you know, there's spam in there, then it would preview it. So one of the options is if it's got encoded HTML, treat it as spam. And the last option is called Bayesian classifier, which means it works out the probability of the item being spam. But at the point that it really guesses, you know, it employs a probability calculation. At that point, it's already gone through the corpus. Yeah, your address so book, many filters anyway, yeah. Your entourage address book, your whitelist, your block list, the habeas safe list, the ADV, and the encoded HTML. So if it actually gets to the point where it has to guess, it's probably going to make a pretty good job of it. Yeah, that's the last resort, and it's it's made enough decisions anyway. That sounds, it is. It, it sounds really sophisticated. It's very, very clever, and yet it's pretty simple in use. What happens is when you install it, and it is a sort of semi-manual installation which can sort of trip you up inadvertently. You know what you're like, you get a new piece of software, you load the DMG, you double-click it, you're away. You know, you don't read the readme file. Uh, with this one, I'd read the readme file because there is, there's a little bit of manual work has to go on. You must manually create a mailbox in mail called spam. Right. Then you run SpamSiv. And you will see an option on the SpamSiv menu to install a script. And it will say install for Thunderbird, Mail, um, MailSmith, Eudora and so forth. So you choose your mail client and you install the script. What that does is on your message menu in Mail, it gives you a few extra options. What those options let you do is... As mail is coming in, when SpamSiv starts, it has no idea uh, of, of what's spam and what's not spam. So you've got to train it, which you do have to do with the junk filtering in mail anyway. The difference is um, you, you should use about 200 mails to train it. And what happens is it'll have a guess as to whether something's spam or not. If it is spam and it misses it, it doesn't put it in the spam folder, you can mark it as spam with a keystroke or use the message menu. 
Likewise, you then go through your spam folder and if any of those messages are good messages, you mark those as good messages and it moves them back to your inbox for you. Um, if you're going to install this and you've got access to your mail on a web server, don't delete the spam thinking you're doing it a favour. It actually needs about 60% of the incoming mails to be spam to make a good guess as to whether it's spam or not. So the best way to train it is to have 200 mails, uh, 120 of which are spam and 80 of which are good. Dump them in your inbox, get it to process them, mark any that it gets wrong and at that point it will kick into action and it will start making assumptions on the way in and it will employ all these techniques. Um, I think I had about, I, I installed it at the end of June and it was pretty accurate straight from the start. Because I, you had that many spams anyway for it to... Oh, I had plenty for it to, to play with, I really so did. It, it, it had a, you know, a, a full training programme straight the away, more, didn't the it? The more spams it you did. have at the start, the better um, it, it trains itself. Although there is an optimum number. Yeah, they, they say sort of don't go over a thousand mails trying to train it because... You, you're you're giving it too much information and it, it ends up being too specific. Is so two hundred is it? Or spam, spams. Mm, spams. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I've got enough of them. I know. <laughs> I have copious amounts of spams. Spams. So yeah. um, once I trained it, I I got a few false positives, a few false negatives, no more than a, about fifteen of each, and we're talking out of maybe thirteen thousand males. So it was pretty accurate straight away. I haven't seen one spam message in my inbox in two months. Mm. I haven't seen one false positive in that long either. So if you take into account the figures, it, because you can actually go in and, and it will tell you how accurate it is. And it will let you, if it made a mistake, it will tell you, well, I thought it was this because, and you can look at it and then educate it. So it actually tells you how accurate it is. And if you think that at the beginning uh, you're actually training it, then the figure I've got is pretty good. It's, it's reporting to be 99.5% accurate. And I haven't seen a spam in two months, which if you think about me going from 50 spams an hour to none is pretty amazing. The product program itself is $30, although there is a 30-day free trial. I tried the free trial, um, and after four days, I thought, this is amazing, and bought it. It's that good. So it's, a, it's around £15. Um, you can get it from uh, c-command.com slash spamsive. So we'll put that in the show notes. It's been updated a couple of times, so it's on an underactive development. And uh, if you look at their homepage, there's a couple of quotes there from uh, the glitterati of the internet world. Uh, one from David Pogue saying his inbox is clean. And uh, another one that says it's the best email spam filter for the Mac period, which I wholeheartedly concur with. So uh, for me, I'm afraid it's another five golden bites, just My like goodness. last week. But mm, that, another that's one. A, uh, it, it obviously solves a problem. For somebody like yourself that really did have a problem, that is incredible. I've, I mean, I've, I'm fortunate. I mean, you're talking about, you said, a business account that's something that's been in the public domain for all that time, uh, for years. That's, you know, it's been on websites and things and passed around for. Whereas, uh, yeah, I, I must admit, I don't tend to suffer that. Uh, I don't get no spam. 
Uh, I have I mean, one of my Gmail accounts has uh, got quite a lot. I, I, I was under the impression Gmail was was pretty good for uh, filtering them out. But no, in terms of my own personal email addresses, that you know, my IMAP mail accounts that I, uh, I do pay for, uh, I tend not to give. The daft thing is, the ones that I pay for, I don't give them out to anyone. So I don't, <laughs> so I don't get any spam in them, but I don't get any mail anyway. John got no mates. <laughs> so yeah, but that's it. But I mean, I only, you know, you only give out me Gmails and me MSNs and me Yahoos, and I, I seem to have an account on every webmail service available. Uh, well, I but, do now. I use Gmail in sort of where I forward it on and things like that. But because these mail accounts have been around for so long, there isn't anything you can actually do to sort of. Yeah stop it coming in they'll, and they'll also because i actually own my own domain they'll also just spam anything at so even if you sort of close down certain ones some are bound to get through um but it, it certainly solved my problem and i know uh you've installed it haven't I you have, yeah um thank you for that uh, that excellent uh, review of Spansive. and i can totally concur with what you said uh, i've installed it and uh, i've seen a, a, a great reduction in spam virtually a hundred percent reduction in spam as you say i do get a few uh going into the spam filter um into the spam folder but that is that is really from uh forms on the website um emails coming in via forms on websites that i've got and i don't really think there's anything you can do about that anybody else want to add anything no, just I think it's uh, well worth at least looking at. Even if uh, you don't get too much spam, it could probably tidy it up completely. I think if it can cure mine completely, it can cure anybody's. Well, I've got to say, yeah, you, you're a severe case. Uh, so I think you've been, you've been, so you, you cannot wholeheartedly say you've been healed by this. I uh, have. By Spamsive. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, so it does. It sounds um, very sophisticated. You know, it's what it does to eliminate uh, the chances of it making any false positives. So it does. It sounds like it. It, it certainly does a lot more than other uh, spam filters I've, I've looked into myself in the past. You know, or that I've read about. So no, it certainly does sound a, just a job. Well, the thing is, you read about things like this. You read the website and you think, oh, that, that sounds good. If it did what it said, then yeah. that would be great. But I was also kind of at the back of my mind was. If this product can do it and it's £15, $30, then why can't Outlook do it? Why do I have such a huge problem in Outlook? So I came to it where I, and I was cynical. I was a bit cynical. I thought it might make some difference, but I didn't expect it to make the difference it did. So I'd say to anybody, don't be cynical about it. Give it a go first. You've got 30 days trial. You know, if it doesn't work for you, I can't see that it wouldn't work for you if it's trained properly. Um, so have a go with it. Don't be cynical like yeah, me. Give it a go and you won't be disappointed. <laughs> and next week, and due to popular demand, uh, I will be talking about global shortcuts. So um, Global shortcuts? Global shortcuts, global nicknames. I will be looking at a particular application, but I, I'll be explaining how you can use one of many applications to achieve the same effect. So watch this space next week for global shortcuts. And after my desperate plea last week, um, did we get any feedback? We did. Excellent. We did. Yes, we've got some really good feedback, um, which has given us something to discuss. Someone's found us out already. Yes. Your dirty little secret's been discovered. (laughs) Right. Uh, Mike's wife wrote and said... Oh, sorry. Sorry, wrong one. (laughs) Right. It is from John Kelsall, who um, is a member of our local Mac user group. 
Uh, and he had a suggestion that said, what about a tip of the week section? Which I think is a really good idea. He even gives us a tip of the week, which I went away and had a play with. And his tip of the week is you can, you know, when you take a screenshot, you can take a screenshot on your Mac using Command, Shift and 3. And it takes a picture of the desktop and saves it to your desktop. Uh, on mine, it did it as a PNG. So did you guys know that one? I did. I yes. knew that one, yeah. And yep. the, the next one... You, no, 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 no. You can't say that because that's, that's John's tip. Right, I thought... Hold that thought. Right, then John said you can go to Command, Shift and 4 and you get a crosshair where you can draw around a section of the screen. But not satisfied with that, if you go to Command, Shift and 4 and then press Spacebar, your cursor changes to a little camera and you can click on a particular dialog box or a particular application and it will take a screenshot of just that application or dialog box. Now, that's where it started getting interesting. So that was John's tip and I thought, I'll go away and have a, have a go with this. And it worked brilliantly. Worked great. I managed to get a screenshot. And now what I'm going to do, I'm going to post these screenshots that I've taken um, on our show notes so people can see what I'm talking about. But I shall endeavour to do my best to explain it. Um, I took a screenshot of Real Player, And if anybody's seen Real Player, it's got very rounded corners. Right. One of them's pretty square, but the others are fairly rounded. And I'd taken screenshots like that before, and what I ended up doing was um, the graphic that it saved was square, and whatever was behind the window, you could see. So in my case, it would be a blue desktop. So I had a go with John's method, and I thought, I don't see any blue at the corners. And there's a difference. Now, how I was taking my screenshots was I've got an application called Snaps Pro, which I don't know if you've heard of. It does uh, video capture yeah. and screen captures. Well, I stopped using it for video captures. Um, it, it kept crashing on me. But I did carry on using it for just quick screen grabs. So when I use Snaps Pro, I get a square graphic with these extra bits behind it of whatever's behind the graphic. When I used John's method, I found that the graphic was transparent in the corners and it looks a million times better. So there's me sitting there using an application that must have cost me around 40, 45 pounds. And John's method works tons better. So I'm going to post these images to um, the show notes and let people have a look at the difference. John's method is quick and free and it works better. And but what the differentiation there was the fact that instead of using the crosshairs and you were drawing uh, a regular shape round an item of your desktop, you were using the one where you press the space bar, and that's right. And in sense you're not having to draw anything, then it just knows that it, you only want the active window in a sense. Yes, but what was happening in Snaps Pro? Snaps Pro, the process is exactly the same. I use um. Command Shift 3 in Snaps Pro, and I get a, a dialog box and it lets me choose do you want the full screen, an area of the screen, um, an object? So I would choose to have just one window, just one dialog box, but when I click on it, I'm not getting transparency at the corners. Whereas with John's method, with the when you press Command Shift 4 and Spacebar, I am getting transparency at the corners. So obviously built into it 
the system is making the corners transparent and it snaps pro that isn't. Well, it's, yeah, but so that just goes to show the, the advantage of having that integrated into your OS and you're yeah. using the OS to capture the image that you want and not a third-party application. Perfect. So how about another challenge for the listeners? How exactly do you uninstall Snaps Pro? Oh. It's most insistent. <laughs> it's most insistent that it stays on my system. Really? You can't get it rid is. of it? It is. Oh, it's one of those... I remember when I very first tried it, and uh, the guy at the Apple store said, do try it here, he said, because once you get it installed, I've never managed to uninstall it. Oh, and I tried it, and I thought, well, it's the only thing that does the job that I wanted at the time. And... Um, Yes, now I don't use it for for capturing video, and now I'm not going to be using it for capturing the screen either. Now I've got this wonderful tip, and I don't have to sit there and colour the corners out. <laughs> so now, now I need tips for getting rid of it. <laughs> so if anyone's got any ideas, do let me know. We also got more feedback. More, more feedback. feedback. More feedback, yes, from Robert Marshall, also from um, our Mac user group. Uh, we, uh, I think this would be Mike B., being funny as, as he does, said, um, ask the question, do listeners want a section knocking Microsoft? And Robert says no, because he doesn't think we could do as good a job as they already do themselves. Boom, boom. Yeah, so he's got a point. He's got a point. Let's be honest, he's got a point. He also suggests, um, how about putting a poll on the site so we could ask listeners to vote on various things? Oh, I thought you wanted me to dance around it. No, no, no. No, no. Actually, thinking about that, definitely not. So I think that's a cool idea. What do you I guys think? I think that's a great idea, and I think the first question on the poll should be, should Mikey B buy a, an iPhone or not? <laughs> right, that's it, guys. As soon as we can get that up, please. Oh, dear. Well, no, it's not necessarily, should I buy an iPhone? Is anyone going to stand in the queue with me and go, <laughs> No, I'm going to be standing opposite laughing at you. It, 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 it sounds like I'm the only one. Can you imagine if you turned up and you were? Yeah, I can. It's going to happen, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he'd, he'd be there with his 500 T-shirts. And with that, uh, that's about it for this episode of uh, of Matt Bite. So, again, uh, as always, please send your comments. Please send your feedback to us. The uh, email address is uh, macbytesuk at gmail.com. Uh, you can uh, email us. You can send us a, an audio question or an audio comment. And uh, next episode, we'll be covering uh, Addressbook and iCal um, in the, the Switches corner. And as Elaine said before, uh, we'll be looking at uh, global shortcuts. So uh, with that, it's uh, goodbye and see you next time. And it's goodbye from me. Yeah, goodbye, Alf.